back, Buckets and Dan Sportsland, episode 38, the Dominic Pittis special, the Sean Bryson special, who else, Dan? The gambling addict who came back. Nathan Pace, Nathan if you will. Nathan Pace, yep. But Dan, you know, we, we hype up every show as we should, because every show is great. But there's something special about episode 38. It's not exactly because the Bills have a divisional playoff game for the first time since 1995, Dan. It really is because of the fantastic lineup of guests we have today. Brian Mormon, former Bills punter, is our Buffalo sports blast from the past. Most of our age group grew up loving Brian Mormon. He was the only good player on a lot of those teams. He is one of our guests. Nathan Lehman, Coach Nathan Lehman. <laughs> Nathan <laughs> Lehman, the USA World Juniors head coach coming off a gold medal out in Western Canada. Unbelievable pull by Buckets to get that guy. An unbelievable pull by Dan to get Mormon. And you're probably sitting there in your car thinking, you know, warming up with a nice cup of coffee here on this chilly Thursday morning, making the morning commute into work. And you're thinking, how in the world did they pull off these guys? Good question. We got ties. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and, Bill, it's a great time to be a Buffalo fan. You mentioned the Bills. The Sabres start up, and it's just like every Buffalo season, Bill. You look at this roster, and it sucks. But we, you can't help but be like, well, if this falls into place, if that falls into place. I, I don't know. You get Carter Hutton. He had eye <laughs> surgery. We got There's things that can fall in our favor. Tage Thompson was out last year. <laughs> there are reasons to believe. I feel like a mid-2000s. Bills fan watching these lineups. You're just kind of hoping for reasons to believe. Yeah, and we'll get to the Sabres in a little bit. Um, they're, you know, the rosters are set. The taxi squads left. They got a, they have a couple guys banged up that are day to day. So that's a reason for some of the players still being here. Is there an AHL season? Like I don't. No comment. No, oh, no. We don't know. All right. Well, we should have looked that one up before. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that works. And you know what I was thinking today, buckets is. Will it have to be, or excuse me, will it be an adjustment for the Sabres? Like, most of the teams in their division made the playoffs, and they were in that little bubble, so they played with no fans. This will be the first time the Sabres play with no fans. Do you think that will be an adjustment? It's been a pretty quiet atmosphere for them the past <laughs> few years, so <laughs> I don't point. think it's going to be too big of an adjustment. <laughs> oh, my bucket. It's bringing the heat this episode. Oh, yeah. That was pretty. Fun. That wasn't even planned. That was a nice back and forth we had there. Well, the bulk of our show today, as you would expect, is we're going to take a deep dive into really the major takeaways from the indie game and what we think about this Baltimore Ravens team and our chances of winning and getting to an AFC championship against Kansas City or Cleveland. But before we do that, let's hit some Q and A. Question: What kind of bear is best? It's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Why are you the way that you are? What'd you do? Hey, what do you guys like better, nurse or cheerleader? All right, Dan, let's get to some Q&A. We have a new sponsor for our Q&A segment this week, and that's Sprout Marketing. Did you start a new business or side gig during the pandemic? Not sure how to get your name out there? Start with Sprout. Unlike some other agencies, Sprout Marketing is geared towards helping new small businesses in the Buffalo area grow their online presence. Sprout can create a website that, that not only looks professional, but is also affordable. Along with website design, Sprout Marketing can help new and existing businesses with search engine optimization, pay-per-click advertising, social media advertising, and more. For more information, visit startwithsprout.marketing. Be sure to tell them Buckets and Dan sent you. 
Yeah, your friend, our friend, I'd like to say, Taylor Winky helped us design our website, so we do appreciate that. Bill, I think we have our first question from our, our good friend Jim out in Elma. Yeah, Jim and Elma really appreciate you writing in this week. He's a postcard guy. He's yeah. a postcard guy, so glad we just got it here. Big USPS guys here on Buckets and Dan. Uh, but, Dan, it's a real simple question. It's for you. Uh, the first part of this question, I think it's playoffs or bust for the Sabres. If they make it, I'll gladly year. Dan, would you agree? And he also wants a Stanley Cup prediction from both of us. Okay. Um, no, I, w- I absolutely do not agree with that. They're in the toughest division. It's a it's an odd year with with no fans and a condensed amount of games. I think it's insane to say a successful year is playoffs or bust. This team's not really playoff ready. They still have a brutal bottom six. Their top six reminds me of like a few years ago when they had Kane O'Reilly. Like you can look at their top six as a legit top six, but the rest of their roster stinks. And I'm going to get to it with my my Stanley Cup prediction, but the goaltending is still a huge issue. We're banking on Allmark that just continues to not take a step to take that step and Carter Hutton to bounce back after getting eye surgery. I've had this uneasy feeling about the Sabres since we spoke with Nate Lehman, and, and we talked about some prospects, and and we talked about Jacob Bryson, and he said, you know, the Sabres have just been in such a weird spot where they're just trying to get over the hump and get over the playoffs where there's so much pressure just to get to that that we, we never really have had that opportunity to totally break it down and understand that there's a process there like the Buffalo Bills have. So for me, um, it kind of is a little bit demoralizing. But <laughs> at the same time, Dan, for me, it's playoffs or bust. If they don't make it, again, it's another failed year with Eichel. All I want to see is playoff hockey. That's all I That's all I want. That's my yeah, Super Bowl. I, I, would, I would agree with that, but here's my thing. If they miss the playoffs but three out of these four things happen, I would say a successful year, okay? Taylor Hall finds enough chemistry in Buffalo to re-sign. I think that the numbers are going to speak for themselves. I think they're going to put up insane numbers. And, again, adding a guy like that, and if they they obtain good chemistry, that could keep Eichel happy as well. Eichel's getting – you can tell he's getting fed up just from the interviews year, and I don't blame him at all. I have a lot of friends that that don't even follow the team anymore and want Eichel to get traded because of how crappy this organization has treated him. So that's number one, Taylor Hall. Number two, can Skinner bounce back? I'm going to put that as a big fat no because <laughs> yeah. of how ridiculous Ralph Kruger is treating this. And you know what? Maybe or the he just stinks. Yeah, I mean, I definitely <laughs> think guys that score 40 goals in the NHL stink as well. It doesn't matter. Here's the problem. He's not a complete hockey player. Who cares if he's a complete hockey player? He's one of four guys on your team that could put the puck in the net. You, you paid him $9 million a year to not be a complete hockey player. I know this regime didn't pay him, but he scored 40 goals with your best player. Why not put him on that line? It's it's absolutely ridiculous. Or now, at least put him with Eric Stahl. Now you have a legit number two center. Kruger's stubbornness on this, and I'm telling you right now, he's wearing thin on me. I don't care what a great guy is. I don't care what a great overall culture he's building. The Sabres screwed up by not making him president, even this past year. There's Gerard Gallat out there. There's plenty of, and I know it's like hockey's famous for retread coaches, but... The fact that you kept him in this position, he's clear. And you know what else, Bill? Something tells me that the reason he's not president, and this is a hot take. This is a hot take brought to you by Lil Kick, those <laughs> little hot sauce we got. <laughs> um, the reason Kim Pagula is president of both of these teams is the Pagulas are that desperate for a paycheck that they need to put her in a position where they can give her that fat paycheck. Uh, because they're paying guys like Cody Hodgson. 
still 700k a year. But right? yeah, and and I really do believe that. That's the reason she won't step down. She's a horrible president. Ralph Kruger should be the face, ugh, but not actually face, but the figurative face of this franchise and actually hire hockey person, not a soccer manager that barely had success in Edmonton wow. for 23 games. I'm I just this team is I I the fact they're running out Jake McCabe and Ristoline is their number one pair again is literally the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I could see reason Ristoline and improves his game. Holy this year. crap, dude, stop talking. <laughs> I, I'm talking. No, Dan, right I just did that to fire you up, but let's conserve your Sabres energy Ho- throughout this podcast, unless you got one more little well, thing. Well, no, about. that was, so I didn't even get to my other point. So that was my Skinner point. Tage Thompson. Now, I selfishly, I have a $1,000 bet with Johnny Passman that he plays 65 games for an NHL team, I believe, next year. We made the bet two years ago. Um, So I selfishly love that he's on the top line. If he takes the next step and proves he's a top six winger, so they got something out of that O'Reilly trade, that's another positive step. And I think this one is the most, the most, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? The most likely, that's what I'm looking for, the most likely to happen if Darlene takes that next step yep. and becomes yep. absolutely dominant. I just ru- uh, heard an interview with Eichel saying he's bigger, stronger, faster. He looks great. I think he's going to be dominant. And it doesn't matter what crappy defense when they pair with him, like Montour or whoever, he needs to take that next step. Yeah. Hutton seeing the biscuit better too. But, Dan, let's get back <laughs> to our let's get to our Stanley Cup <laughs> predictions. Real concise here. I got the Avalanche over the Carolina Hurricanes. I think both teams are just exceptionally skilled. I think Carolina, adding Vinny Trocek, number two center there, I think that's going to be a big, he's going to make a big impact this year. I love Rod Brindamore as a coach, not as a player back in 2006, but as a coach. Dan, who do you got? Okay, I have, here's my problem with your prediction. I think this year more than ever, and it's kind of a throwback. You know, no one really worries about goalies anymore. It's kind of like the running back of hockey. You feel like you can just throw one in. Well, I'm telling you right now, the Stanley Cup champion, he might have, he could have won the Conn Smythe in another year um, if if Kucherov, if there was like four guys for Tampa that really could have won it this past playoff with Tampevsky. I think it's going to come down to goaltending. You have so many back-to-back, even three in a row sometimes, games this year. You need two really good goalies. That's why I am picking the Vegas Golden Knights to win the Stanley Cup. They have still have Robin Lehner and Marc-Andre Fleury on their team. I think they're going to stay on the team the whole year. I don't tr- – if I were an Avs fan, I wanted to pick the Avs. They are – I think – I probably won't say Toronto just because I hate Toronto, but to me, Colorado's the most fun team to win. But I don't trust Philip Grubauer and Pavel Francouz. Francouz. Remember, I was trying to pronounce his name in yeah. the bubble. <laughs> and I also, I mean, the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes didn't upgrade at the goalie, I don't understand at all. I don't understand also how Columbus is going in with, I guess their point is they could compete. So Merzlikas and Corpus Allo, fine. But how about Arizona? You're not going to compete this year, and you still have two goalies in Darcy Kemper and Antti Ratna. I don't get it. They're going back with James Reimer and Peter Mrazek. No thank you if you're the Hurricanes. Again, another fun, young, deep roster, but if you don't have goaltending this year, I don't think it's going to work out for you. I see McKinnon holding that cup. Dan, what's our next question? Our next question. Sorry, moved off the page. It comes from Kevin from Erie, PA. One of the, you know, we have a very strong Erie, PA contingent that keeps um, sending in these emails. So, Kevin, thank you for listening. Bill, what is your take on these NBA superstars who seem to make themselves bigger than the team? Kyrie hasn't played, was on a Zoom call during a game. He's out partying with his dad and sister, apparently, with no mask. He's under investigation. Meanwhile, James Harden couldn't look fatter and is bashing the Rockets to the media after their loss Tuesday, saying the team can't be fixed. Some might say that could be also said about his diet. 
aren't these guys to blame for the problems, Bill? 100% to blame. I feel bad for the Rockets organization. I feel bad for two teammates in particular. That's John Wall, who after the same exact game said all the right things. Hey, we're, we're kind of a new team with new guys. We're trying to get things together. You know, we got to be selfless basketball players here. He's doing everything right. What has he done wrong? James Harden's a terrible teammate. He's been giving he's been given everything in Houston. And if I'm another NBA team and I know the trade might happen and probably will happen by the time this show is is published, um I I don't want him. I think he's a terrible teammate. Speaking of terrible teammates and thank you Kevin for asking about him. That's Kyrie Irving. Another guy I feel bad about, Kevin Durant. Right? Why in the world that's it looks like a terrible decision from Kevin Durant to say I want to team up with Kyrie Irving who's more selfish than almost any other player maybe with the exception of James Harden in the NBA. So these guys need to be blamed, right? These guys are making their organizations, they're putting them in a tough spot. What's Steve Nash going to go out and say right now? And is he going to go bash Kyrie Irving and and make and burn the bridge even more? I don't know. It's a tough spot and it's shame on those guys and they're the ones who need to be held accountable. I like it. Dan, we got another one, and this is uh, Tommy from Houston, and he's kind of asking both of this, both of us about this. And thank you, really love the Southern contingent that we have here. That's growing; it's growing as fast as hockey and lacrosse, I'd say. <laughs> you know, there's you talk about the South and the West. There's lacrosse, hockey, and buckets, and Dan. Those things are spreading like wildfire. Um, can you can you make that joke? Uh, you talking about wildfire spreading <laughs> yeah, in the West? I, don't, I should take that back. I didn't mean it like that. Okay? okay, but Houston, we have a problem, and yeah, Houston, we do have a problem. I was just talking about James Harden, and they got two disgruntled superstars. The second one being Deshaun Watson. Well, Dan, we want to know your take. Is does Watson have a leg to stand on here? Where can you see him going? What's your overall take on this Texans v. Watson saga? I'm trying to think of where I'd be. Is it similar to how I'd look at Eichel if he was finally like, I want out? Would I just get it, or I'd be like, Oh, you're, you know, you're the paycheck, or you know, excuse me, we're giving you the paycheck. You need to just shut up and play. I'm going to tell you something about the the Houston owner and management. If if you <laughs> If you look up a picture of Cal McNair and Bob McNair, it would literally be in the Wikipedia of try to find the most racist white face in the history of mankind. These guys are being run by apparently a preacher that's making all these decisions. They went out and put a group together to for kind of like a um, an advisement group with Andre Johnson, one of the greatest Texans of all time, and several other key members of the community and team. And this guy just said uh, he ran to the owner and said, "Screw it, let's just hire this guy." Allegedly, allegedly. So they went out and hired there. But if you're looking at players backing him up, if you look at this tweet that Andre Johnson first tweets since like a crown ad in 2019. <laughs> Backing up Deshaun Watson and bashing the Texans' management. Arian Foster responded. DeAndre Hopkins responded. Former tackle Dwayne Brown responded. Every former player, Sage Rosenfeld, Orlovsky uh, chimed in. It's clear there's a lot of dysfunction, and he is right now a top four at at the very least, probably top three yep. quarterback in the NFL. He just Give led him. the league in passing for a 4-12 and team. He's 25 years old, has four more years. Here's the problem. Right now, the leverage seems to be with Watson. If he wants to go, to, I've been listening to a few podcasts on this. If he wants to go to Miami, they can kind of he can kind of leverage himself in that position because he can hold out. And you know it, they, they've already screwed themselves. Remember with the Jadavion Clowney situation. Like if you're going to trade someone, trade him while he's hot. Get an absolute haul. And that haul to me would include, if you're Miami, it would have to include 
three, 18, and two first-round picks after that, and Tua. <laughs> That's what it would take. Or at least at least Tua and three first-round picks, including both this year. Oh, as much as I – there's such – And I would do that in a heartbeat if I'm Miami. You don't win without a franchise quarterback in the NFL, and this team was a contender with a bad quarterback. And maybe Tua can grow into it. I, again, if I'm Miami, I'm not ready to give up on Tua. But if, if it only took that – Three first-round picks and two to go. Get Watson, sure, but you don't know Houston's going to do that. Otherwise, build around him, whatever. But as soon as that happens, now it goes back to Houston's court if Miami doesn't want to do that because he's signed for four more years. And if there's not really a dead cap if they trade him. like They, they structure his contract pretty well. It, to me, this head coach thing is going to be so interesting because Watson's been beating the drum for Eric Bieniemy, who every report you read said he interviews terrible. And like now he's like a quote-unquote holding out for the right job because he keeps bombing these interviews and nobody wants him, which is interesting, you know, a side note. So th- this head coaching position is going to be very interesting. Um, but, yeah, I, I would be very worried. I, I, wouldn't be, I don't know if I'd be worried I'm going to lose him, but you're going to lose him mentally. Like he might just check out or he'll just shut up and play. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that. And, Dan, yeah, you're probably right about the trade. I mean, there is uh, there's reports coming out of Miami today and yesterday that teammates kind of anonymously talking to the media that the team was baffled by them sticking with Tua and they should have went back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was the guy. Uh, no one was super impressed by Tua. So you're probably right, Dan. I got another quick one for you. And this is uh, Petey from Pittsburgh. Again, want to really appreciate we're growing even though Pittsburgh's not in the south or south of Buffalo. And I think that eerie PA is starting to starting to spread into Pittsburgh, which is really <laughs> nice. So has Mike Tomlin, they, they want our opinion, has Mike Tomlin lost control of the Steelers? I'll say absolutely not. Dan, you can disagree if it's you just, want. It's just interesting that, like, when Antonio Brown went nuts and Le'Veon Bell kind of showed what an a-hole he was, it was, it was wow, Mike Tomlin held these psychopaths under one roof for that long. And this is just your classic – case of winning solves everything you know what I mean like maybe he was able to button him up the it is if I'm a Steelers fan I can't I mean it's amazing that they were 11 and 0 I think about it as a Steelers fan you're 11 and 0 after that point is an absolute worst case scenario from that point you 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 back into the playoffs your quarterback looks a hundred years old your young star receivers can't shut the hell up and stop worrying about themselves you get blown out by a by a little brother on a national stage in the first round of the playoffs. This roster needs a massive, well, this offense needs a massive overhaul. And it starts with the quarterback. I think it continues to the offensive coordinator. I think there's, I when I say zero, I mean literal negative chance they re-sign Juju or want to re-sign him. Think about when you think of the Steelers. What do you think? If you think of smash mouth, run the ball, defense, um, cold weather, like, this team is not opposite. a Steelers team. No. You know their defense is still solid. I th- I do think they get J.J. Watt in the offseason for the record to join it with the, all three Watts in Pittsburgh. So their defense will be good again. They're going to get some guys back from injury next year. But this offense, they can't run the ball, and they they have very excuse me, I wouldn't say very few weapons, but they don't have electrifying weapons. Uh, maybe a quarterback needs to get it there. That's not that's a that's, team. That's the big issue. I too. think they should most Sam, certainly. Well, Sam Darnold. Yes, actually. trade a second round pick for Sam Darnold and see if the Jets bite on that. I think that would help big time. But it seems to me that like you, I would love to hear Tomlin's reaction. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't. But to have Juju continue to run his mouth, to have Claypool after that say that they'll get smacked, it's 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 just it's not a Mike Tomlin coach team thing to do. That's all I'll say. But no, I don't think he's lost control of the team. Last question from our good friend Parge in Central New York, the big Colts fan. Buckets. 
Did future Hall of Famer Philip Rivers just play his last game in Buffalo? Oh, okay, I understand. Play his last game this past weekend in Buffalo, and if so, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Frank Gregg said all the things that would make you believe that Philip Rivers will be back in a Colts uniform next year. I think it's one of those tough decisions that you should part ways. I think you can find to be more effective. He can't really move too well. He's a little elusive in the pocket, but you know you gotta. I think you gotta turn the page there. I think that team is ready for that. Now you would think, you know, especially people our age, we've watched Rivers be a, a really a top tier quarterback for a long, long time, and then if you look at his traditional numbers, like his passing yards and his overall touchdowns over the regular season of his career, he ranks fifth in both. And that would make you think, oh, man, this guy's a surefire Hall of Famer. But as the league has really progressed throughout his career to be more of a passing league, I don't think he's getting in the Hall of Fame, at least for a long, long time, and maybe not ever. This is opposite of this conversation we had like a week ago. Yeah, I know, because I did some research, and I thought about it more and more. You know why I don't think he's – I think they're going to use him as a – an example, because when like Matthew Stafford retires, he's going to be like top four all time in passing, yeah, and the, no one thinks you, Matthew Stafford's a Hall of Famer. Just took my point, Dan. Sorry. Well, my guy was going to be a different guy, and that's Matt Ryan. Yeah, like same. I don't know if Matt Matt Ryan ranks eighth right now in yards. Yeah. Matt Ryan's going to be a top five guy, and really of all quarterback statistics, is he a Hall of Famer? Eesh, I don't know. And you know, before you know it, you're going to have guys like Patrick Mahomes and things that are kind of kind of maybe push. Rivers to the wayside, but here's my big reason why I don't think you can legitimately put this guy in the Hall of Fame. He comes in his one, first year he plays, they're 14 and two. Second year, 11 and five, eight and eight, 13 and three. Okay, so now he's through his first contract. He gets the big money, right? He's 28 years old. Here's just real quick. I'm going to run down the records really for the rest of his career in San Diego. That's nine and seven, eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seven, nine and seven, four and twelve, five and eleven. 9 and 7, a little blip in the radar, uh 12 and 4 and then 5 and 11. I mean yeah. that doesn't scream Hall of Fame to me. I know people say quarterbacks and winning, that's not a quarterback stat for me. It is. Once you get that big contract, it's on you to lead the team and be a playoff contender which he clearly wasn't. So his longevity will help him in his argument, but as this league and the stats continue to blow up, I don't think he's getting in. And I don't think he should. He's a very good quarterback, the Hall of very good. Yep. You know what's funny that that exp- I've said that expression too. It doesn't make any sense. Hall of very good. Hall of fame. Yeah, Hall but fame, fame is any equi- well. Fame whatever. is like elite. Hall yeah, Hall but of it's very not. Good. It's I don't. Okay. All right. That was great. Let's. Oh, we have breaking news. Well, Dan, I just got a text from Adrian Wojnarowski. Okay. Local guy, St. Bonaventure grad. So he's he's buckets and Dan is near and dear to his heart. He said, "Check my Twitter." So logging on to his Twitter now, he says, "Brooklyn." Brooklyn is acquiring James Harden in a three-way deal with Cleveland. Who is being sent where? Karis LeVert, Dante Exum, a person I I apologize I cannot pronounce your name. Four (laughs) first-round picks, including the Cav 2022 first-round pick via the Bucks, and four Nets pick swaps to the Rockets. Jared Allen, Torin Prince, and to the oh Jared Allen, Torin Prince to the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I think what it I think just there's a lot to dive through. We're going to have to digest that. We'll probably talk more about it next week. But I guess the overall takeaway, Dan, is now you're thinking about two guys who I bashed earlier who need to be held accountable. That's James Harden, Kyrie Irving, are playing on the same team with Kevin Durant. 
<laughs> oh, man. Um, There's a lot to break down there. That is a lot to break down, and we'll get to that next week. In the meantime, let's send it over to USA World Junior coach Nate Lehman. Here we go! This interview is brought to you by Arista Networks. Arista Networks is an industry leader in campus, Wi-Fi, data center, and cloud computing. Learn more about Arista at arista.com. a gold medal defeating host country Canada in the championship game. We are very excited to welcome head coach of the United States World Junior Hockey Team and fellow SUNY Cortland graduate Nate Lehman. Coach, congrats first of all and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> an honor. Hey uh, coach, you, you started after your playing days, you started your coaching career, spent eight years at Union College in New York State Turn that program around being before being hired at Providence College, where you are now in your 10th season. Um, and in March of this year, you were named head coach for the USA World Junior Team after uh, being an assistant in the last two. So I got to ask by starting, was this something you've wanted for a while? And what was it like to get the call? Every coach in college, you know, they want to they want to try to you know, represent their country and, and coach the world junior team. So uh, I'd be lying if I said this wasn't something that I, you know, I really had wanted to do for a while. Um, yeah. When I got the call, I was, you know, it was, uh, I was pretty blown away when I got the call asked to do it. And, um, you know, it was right. It was basically right when COVID hit. Um, and, and then I just kind of, couldn't wait to get started you know it was a tough first three weeks because all i wanted to do was get started get started, get started. And, uh, and because everything had just gotten to shut down from covid it was tough to get started so i remember the anxiety there but uh yeah it was just an honor and it was something i'd wanted to do for a long time for our listeners who probably just casually watch the tournament i mean how different was it from a roster building um you know time and also in time and preparation how much different was it this time around um, you know, it was, uh, it was very different because you had to remain flexible and, and, um, the evaluation process was very different than, than every other evaluation. Um, you know, typically you have a, a 10 day camp in the middle of the summer where they invite Canada, Finland, and Sweden. Um, and you kind of, you know, you bring 40 players, the top 40 players in and you play games against those teams. So you really evaluate the guys and because of COVID, um, there wasn't any, any evaluation like that. Um, and then uh, we, we kind of had to force a, a late evaluation in October. We weren't able to get probably our top five or six guys because they were going to have to quarantine. Um, and, um, and then we, you know, from that point, we managed to get um, the top like 26 guys, 20, no, 28 guys to Plymouth, um, on December 6th and we had to have the team down by December 13th. So that's when it was real crunch time. And we brought a smaller group than normal and we had to make our cuts, 
quicker than normal. But I think it was a really benefit because it, it got our team together uh, much quicker. Well, it was really an incredible run you went on, and it was such a grind, But especially before January 4th and January 5th, the semis and the finals. You have a, on the second, you have a real tough quarterfinal win over Slovakia, which was closer than the score indicated. And you spoke to the media about how difficult that game was. And then you squeaked by Finland 4-3 in an incredible game to make the gold medal game against Canada the following day. So I'd like to know, what were those hours like between the semis and the finals against Canada from a preparation standpoint? How, much hour, how many hours did you sleep? Uh, I didn't sleep much. I didn't sleep. I didn't probably didn't sleep much the last uh, four or five days of the tournament. Um, you know, the Slovakia game that you mentioned, I had a saying to the guys all summer and, you know, every Zoom we did, everything we did, I, I, I always mentioned we want to play our best when it matters the most. So in that tournament, you have pool play and then you go to a crossover. And, and that's what I had been speaking of is when we get to that crossover, we've got to be playing our best. But unfortunately, I think it tightened the guys up. You know, I think they wanted it too much, and, and they, we played a little tight. We didn't play a great game. Um, but we had a day off until the semi, and we came back um, with a really good game against a very good Finland team um, and we're, and found a way to win that game late. But then we, only, we, we had a, a real short turnaround to the championship game, and the big thing that we didn't want to do is we didn't want the guys to spend any mental energy um, up until the game time. Um, so we showed our scout film the next morning, uh, on Canada, but we didn't want to, um, raise our voices at all in any meetings. We didn't want the kids feeling anxious. We didn't want the kids, um, you know, um, getting hyped up at all. Um, we just wanted them to stay as loose as possible until right before the game. And that's when we were going to kind of spike their, spike their blood a little bit, um, and, you know, that, that was a lot of our preparation. It's just trying to – as coaches, I mean, I think we probably only slept two or three hours between the semi and the final. But as the players, we wanted them to feel as well-rested as they possibly could going into it. You were frank to the media in how you described the matchup against Canada, but we're also clearly confident in your guys. However, Canada was undefeated, having never trailed in the tournament, and they outscored their opponents 41-4 to at that point and fresh off back-to-back -back shutouts in the playoff round. How confident were you that you'd outwork and, and really eventually outplay Canada as you did? Because the team, from the minute they came out, seemed extremely confident. Yeah, I mean, we just – we were confident on a group. And the, the big thing that we were talking about the whole time was just we wanted to get to our game. We wanted to dictate it. We wanted to be – you know, we wanted to make them play our style of game. We wanted to get to that type of game as quick as we could. And then, you know, we, we just kind of felt like um, that they really hadn't seen a team that was going to come after them like us. And, um, you know, and it turns out, I, you know, I think we were probably mostly correct in that. But um, that, that's what that was our, our thought, you know, going into it. We just, we just, you know, the big thing by taking that attitude and that mentality is we just, we didn't want to sit back. I mean, Canada had scored in the first uh five or ten minutes of every game they had played and we knew that you know if if, if they didn't score in that first five or ten minutes then you know they were going to be on you know on certain ground or maybe foreign territory a little bit and you know we, we had to make them we had to get them in a position where they weren't comfortable 
And, Coach, you did that right away. You know, watching the game, I'll bet I'm a novice fan, so I was hoping for the upset. And I was listening to your players talk before the game, and there was just such a confidence, and I was really impressed. Then they come out, score that first goal. And then coming out of the second period, all they talked about in the intermission was, well, U.S. just needs to control the ambush from Canada coming out because you know they're going to come out hungry. And then you guys score the second goal. So how important were just the timing of the goal for the confidence level and really to increase the panic level on the other side? Yeah, I mean, like, and, and we never felt like that. I think, you know, we're, we're up in Canada. We're in a bubble. There's five TSN channels, which is five ESPN channels in Canada. Like, uh, and all they're doing is showing how good Canada is all the time. And, you know, fortunately for us, you know, with our players, like, we just didn't – we took the mentality that we weren't, we weren't going to buy into it. We, that almost put more of a chip on our shoulder that we want to prove people wrong then it did fear us like, Oh, you know, here they come, here they come. We never felt like that. We always felt like, no, watch this, you know, it, you know, and, and um, we ran a face off play to start the second period and it put them in their zone um, and they couldn't get out of their zone until we scored. Yep. So that, you know, got us back on our toes, back on our toes, you know, play on your toes. So that sort of thing. And yeah. When the clock hits zeros, Coach, and it's a 2 nothing win, you shut out Canada in their home arena uh, to win the gold. Just describe some of those emotions. And if you could, and maybe you'll uh, take the political answer here, but is it any more sweeter as the U.S. coach beating Canada for the gold compared to a different country? Well, I mean, well, I, I would say, like, if Sweden was picked to win a tournament and we were playing Sweden okay. in Sweden, I think it would be the same feeling. You know, okay. you just want yeah. to beat the best, you know, in the tournament. I mean, I guess it makes it sweeter if you're going through, you know, the quote-unquote um, people that were predicted to win it. You know, Russia, you know, some people had Russia predicted to win it. Some people had Canada. But, it, you know, very, very few people had the U.S. predicted to win it. There was actually one person um that did and i thanked them afterwards but um you know it was you know we wanted to it, it does make it sweeter um because you know you want to know at the end of the day we were the best team in that tournament um we don't want any uh, you know second guessing or anything like that so you know we're very we're, we're very thankful we got to play canada and canada that's fair and when it comes to just the U.S. hockey program as a whole, how impressed and proud are you? I mean, you've played a huge role in it over the past two decades or so, but, you know, you listen to guys like Ryan Whitney on Spit and Chick. Let's talk about just the insane rise that this program has had. And you look at the the team, you know, not it's not all guys from Minnesota and Michigan. It's guys from Florida and Texas. So the growth of the game in the U.S., what is really the ceiling that this country has in the game of hockey? Uh, this, this country, I mean, whatever sport it chooses, this country, you know, because we're so big and we have so many athletes. I mean, the, the key is, you know, getting your best athletes to play, you know, um, I think that's part of it. And I think that's what you're seeing more and more. You're seeing more and more kids from um, non quote, non-traditional places. You still have your great players from Minnesota, from Massachusetts, from New England, um, you know, from Michigan, you still have those great players. They're still being developed at, at the same rate and everything. But, you know, for Austin Matthews to come from Arizona and to be the 
number one pick in the draft and to be an NHL star. Like if you look at Austin Matthews, he's six three. He he, I'm sure he would be an NFL quarterback. Right. You know, he might be an NBA player. Like he just happens. You know, in that case, you just happen to have an amazing athlete choose. I want to play hockey, and um, that's what you're having with some of the California kids. I think that I think California. I think we had the most California kids on the on the team ever. So. You know, that, that's what's great about our state. Now, our country, like if our country's best athletes decide that they all want to play soccer, I think we're going to have a really, really good soccer team, you know. But we're just a, we're a diverse country. And when you get some of these European countries, it's either soccer or hockey. That's it, you know. But in the United States, it's, it's basketball, it's baseball, it's soccer, it's, it's hockey, it's football. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of paths for kids to go down and um, – you know, and I, I just think more kids are starting to choose that hockey path. Yeah, and it helps with the success that all these teams are having. Let's uh, switch focus a little bit to some Sabres prospects. And first and foremost, one of your defensemen played a chunk, a very good chunk of minutes, especially in this gold medal game, former first-round pick Ryan Johnson. Everyone knows about his skating ability, but what else about his game impressed you both as a player and a person? Um. Really, the, the fact that he could simplify his game when he needed to. I mean, I, I you know, Ryan has always been an excellent skater. He's very good with the puck. But as you move up the levels, um, you, your, your decision-making is something that has to continue to be very good because your time and space is less and less. So how, you know, how are you, can you just make the first easy play and get your team out of the zone and um, – and, you know, Ryan will always have the unique ability to escape traffic with his feet. Like, he's, he's, he's uber-talented when it comes to escaping traffic. But for us, we needed him to play more defensive. We needed him to play um, a role where, you know, he could kill rushes with using his feet, and he could be really good in transition by moving pucks early and, and getting them to our forwards with speed. And he did an unreal job of it, you know. Um, so for me, the thing that, that if I was a Sabres fan, you know, he's a first-round pick because of his talent and his ability. If I was a Sabres fan, I'd be really excited about his ability to make the right decisions um, and, and to simplify things uh, when they needed to be simplified because that's something for the next level that he just, you know, he showed he could do. One of the main reasons, at least in my opinion, that this tournament was so entertaining is that you had a lot of really NHL-ready guys that might not have been there in a normal year because they'd be playing on their NHL clubs, and one of those might have been Dylan Cousins. Um, I, I, for one, am expecting him to jump right into the Sabres lineup. You played him in the gold medal game. While scouting, did you notice anything that really stuck out as a strength and maybe stood out as a weakness that you guys look to exploit going into the gold medal game? Well, not, I mean, not, not, nothing really on weaknesses. He, he has big speed. You know, he has big speed. Um, he, you know, uh, he was getting a lot of two-on-ones, and he's, his deception on two-on-ones was, I think, was pretty darn good. Um, you know, he could look goalies off um, and, and score his goals. Um, but his, his speed was really, um, you know, I think it's his big asset. I mean, for a big kid, he can, he can really get around the rink and, you know, um, how the Sabres use him and use that speed, I think will be, you know, will be the key thing there. And lastly, coach, you, 
You were able to coach Jacob Bryson, another Sabres prospect. I don't know how much you followed him as he's developed in the professional ranks in Rochester, but while in college, what did you notice about him? What made him special on the back end? Um, he, he, he makes the right decision every time. And unless you really, really break down Jacob, you don't have a big appreciation for his game. Um, the more, the more you, you, you kind of zoom focus on him and, and just understand that um, what makes him elite is that he makes the right play every time. He makes it look easy. He gets you out of your, your zone. His edges are like, you know, they're, they're very high end. Um, he'll play in the league. Like, there's no doubt in my mind he'll play in the league, whether the Sabres give him a chance or whoever gives him a chance. You know, the problem that he keeps running into is that, you know, the, the, the Sabres are a team that, you know, there's a lot of pressure to win. So it's, it's tough to trust new young guys when, when there's a lot of pressure to win all the time. Um, but once he gets his crack, he's going to stick. He's going to shoot people. What a good player he is. You just, you just have to have an appreciation for who he is. Um, you know, he just needs to break, in my opinion. And, Coach, as you were away from Providence, um, the associate head coach is, you know, very familiar to Sabres fans. So uh, what's it like working alongside Ron Rolston? And I know he did a great job uh, in your absence there. Yeah, I mean, you know, part of the season when Tupin had the lead um, to a place where we're ready to make a run. Our, our team improved, you know, and uh, he's a very, very good coach. He's excellent on the power play, like excellent on the power play. Um, and, you know, we're lucky to have him. We're, we're really lucky to have him. I mean, I just think the timing for him in Buffalo just wasn't there. You know, I mean, they, they were in a they were in a phase where they were going to hit the bottom and rebuild, and and he was the guy that unfortunately had to take the brunt of it. But everyone that's worked with him and everyone that has been around him knows how good he is. And um, you know, it, it, I you know, he did it. He did an unbelievable job while I was gone. Coach, um, I just want to finish up with a couple quick hitters about the one thing that we do have in common, and that's and that's our alma mater, and that's SUNY Cortland a place I hope that we both love. I certainly uh, appreciated my time there as well as Dan did. What must have maybe Tom Cranfield been doing there? Because you <laughs> that he really groomed a lot of coaches from this team. I, I put out a recent tweet about all of these coaches and in, in influencing people in hockey from like these mid-90s hockey teams. Does, isn't that abnormal that we have uh, an NHL assistant coach you have you, you have so many different guys, Chad Cassidy, more and more and more, some high school coaches to come off of that team. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not sure what it is. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're all very passionate about the game. I know that. And I think the other thing, by all of us starting in the game, you know, it, it, uh, it helped us all with our network for each of us to kind of evolve and get through the rough patches of the beginning of the coaching. You know, I think, you know, um, you know, the, the, we all know, like, you got to be good, but you also have to get your breaks. And the more people, you know, in the business, the more breaks you're going to get. Um, but, you know, uh, um, I don't know. We're all passionate. We all love each other. 
Um, our experience at Cortland was second to none. I, I still, you know, have to explain to people that it's the it's the the Harvard of physical ed. Um, <laughs> right. I was a biology major, and one of the things that really touched me is I got an email from uh, someone from the biology department today. Um, you know, and and you know that that means a lot that the people still know who you are and they still care about you and. I had some special professors there, you know, Larry Klotz was in biology. He was one of my, you know, you, you, you just look back on the experiences is can a professor, you know, take you and point you into a direction that your passion is. And I think Cortland's a special place like that. I think there's a lot of, a lot of good, passionate people there. And, and, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm thankful every day that that's where I went to school, you know, um, minus walking in the snow up that hill sometimes. Hey, that, that built, but, hey, that built the lower body, though. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah Co- I did. Coach, yeah. We, we really appreciate uh, you coming on. If you're ever in the Cortland area, we'd love to get the first round at the dark horse. That'll be on Buckets and Dan. And Or if you're ever in the Buffalo area, you got wings on us. So anytime you want. Oh, that sounds good for dinner, guys. <laughs> yeah. Congrats again, so, Coach. Good. Well, thank thanks you. for having me, guys. Alrighty then. Thank you, Coach Lehman. It's actually unbelievable to think that the USA World Juniors head coach joined Buckets and Dan. But Bill, you know what they say? Red Dragon blood runs red. <laughs> I don't know what they say. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dan, I mean, I wish we could have talked more about Cortland. Yeah, that's one of the busiest guys. He's quarantining right now before he returns to his Providence team and. He had an interview right before us. He squeezed us in right in the middle. Probably went to, like, you know, NHL Network. He went from Buckets and Dan to NHL Network. But we're on the rise. We're on the rise. Bill, let's let's dive into these Buffalo Bills, all right? Wow. It was a weekend. It was an afternoon. It Ooh, was doggy. It was – we're not even going to recap our keys because of how wrong we were about how we thought the game would go. We both thought it would be a convincing win. We both thought that the offense would control the game, that – we would have to stop their run game, blah, blah, blah. The Indianapolis Colts showed how well coached they were. They executed their game Debatable. plan. All right, we'll talk about it. I think they executed their game plan perfectly. They wanted to play keep away. They should have had, they put the play clock down so far. They should have had multiple delay of game calls, but we don't have to get into that right now. They ran the ball very efficiently in the fourth quarter. I think the Bills did a good job to the first three quarters. They were averaging under three under three yards of carry, then out of nowhere, their fourth quarter, they started popping off. Bills almost lose a two-touchdown lead, but hang on at the end for their first victory since 1996, Bill. We could talk all day about the decisions that Frank Reich and the Colts coaching staff made. Do you think it was the right the I right would, decision? I would have kicked the field goal instead of going for that fourth down. I, I disagree. You, before the play. If you're that coach, you know that you need touchdowns to beat the Bills. And I mean, if not really, yes, not really that day. But in an, I, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of disagree with that. I mean, if Allen doesn't take that huge, that huge sack, I mean, that's going up by another score there. I don't know. I, I, it was the right call. It was four inches from being a great call. If Pittman, if the ball was just a little thrown less, um, I, I thought it was the right call. There was, I don't know. There's two ways to look at it. You can yeah, say, man, right. the, the Bills did not look great. And I would agree with that. I think I don't think the Bills looked like the better team. And I want to say this. I hope my cousin Dan's listening because I want to retract some of the stuff I said to him. The Bills didn't look like the better team 
the that game, but there were spurts of the game where you can say, like, okay, this team is an elite football team. Like, the end of the first half drive, you can say, like, the Bills just empowered their will. But if you had to pick, like, percentage-wise, the majority of the game, the Colts looked like the better team. Would you agree with that? I would. Absolutely. And I, But I think that that shows, like, that's just another step the Bills had to take. It's it's not easy to win playoff games. It's not easy to win that first one for Correct. all these guys so, who are yes. young. And I feel like we got that monkey off the back. Yes. I mean, there was tense. Yep. We didn't cause one turnover, yep. you know. Indy played a clean game, a very clean game. Taylor broke off a few big runs, and and we we won a close playoff game. So I think you know we Joe overcame Marino. a horrible call. And I, I to yep. this till right now, I do you agree with this? That was an awful call. Awful call. Awful call. That's unbelievable that they allow that to happen. Bottom line is, Dan, you know we could talk about that Colts game at length forever, but the bottom line is we're moving on against a Baltimore team that. I think is a lot more threatening. You know, if, if we talked about after week 17 as we watch the 4 o'clock games, I think a lot of people would agree, I don't want to play Baltimore. Right. And now we get them in the second round. Um, and we're going to dive into that, Dan. I mean, Let's do it right now. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard to control your emotions going into this game, Bill, because if I said before the year, Bill, guess what? I'm going to look at this in a vacuum, something you like doing. Let's look at it in a vacuum. Bills will win the division – and win a win a home playoff game. I would have taken that a hundred percent. Like that's we talked about it yep. at like the first ten weeks of the season. Exactly, and that's success. I didn't expect the offense to score five hundred points. I didn't expect Josh Allen to be MVP. I didn't expect to go thirteen three. So the the bar is raised, and yeah. I think if you're a Bills fan, I don't know if you'd expect to win this, but it would. Would you say it'd be disappointing? Would you say it'd be a disappointing season no. if they don't win this game? They. Went thirteen and three. Right. They won a playoff game. They lost to a very, very good opponent. I think that's a disappointing end to an outstanding year. And I think once that sting wears away, I think you're saying, "What a year!" And we're going to build off that next year. I would agree with that. So let's let me break down the Ravens quickly. Okay, let's talk about the game itself. Eight fifteen. I did you listen to Al Michaels on WGR? No, I have to go back and do that as well. So Al Michaels in Buffalo. Despite what Nate O'Donnell thinks, Al Michaels is still elite at what he does. I think Chris Collinsworth is elite. I think it's the best broadcast in football. Sunday, excuse me, Saturday night, Saturday night, eight fifteen in Buffalo. Baltimore leads the all-time series six to three since they moved in about I think nineteen ninety six. The Hannon special coming. Here we go. Bills have lost three straight. Let's take it all the way back to two thousand and ten. Young freshman Bill O'Hare. This Dan season, Hannon. this season is unbelievable. What they started off zero and eight. The Ravens and Steelers met that later that year, both twelve and four in the playoffs, and the Bills took both those teams to overtime. I don't remember this game at all, but the Bills lose thirty seven thirty four in overtime. Billy Cundiff, the game winning field goal. Lindell put it to overtime. Bills dropped to 0-6, like I said, en route to 0-8. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 29 for 34, four touchdowns, three, oh, I think, oh, 300 and I think 80 yards. The Bills have over 500 yards of offense, but they could not stop Baltimore when it counted. Todd Heap, some big catches in overtime. From? Arizona. Is he? I think it's Arizona. <laughs> um, but the Bills lose 37-34. Week four. 2013. Arizona State. Arizona State, damn it. Bills win 23-20. E.J. Manuel leads them to a win. Jackson and Spiller combined for 164 yards on 39 carries. Robert Woods a big day. Four catches, 80 yards, and a touchdown. Kiko Alonzo and Aaron Williams, two interceptions each. 
Marcel Darius, two sacks. Mario Williams and Manny Lawson, a sack each. Then we take it to season opener. I believe you were there, correct? Did I make that up? Yeah, we were. Jerry Hughes. Season opener in 2016. Such a boring game. Tyrod throws for 111 yards. Bills lose 13-7. We talked about it earlier this year. It's the ledger doosable game. One and a half sacks. Jerry Hughes, like you mentioned, it's two sacks. follow on Twitter. Then we take it to 2018. Another season opener, the Peterman game, baby. He goes 5 for 18, 24 yards. Two interceptions in the first half. Josh Allen comes in after that. Joe Flacco. 25 for 36, 234 yards, three touchdowns. Listen to who he threw touchdowns to. It's hilarious how much this roster has changed since 2018 for both teams. Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed, and John Brown had three catches from Pittsburgh State. We didn't how did we about, not mention it? We didn't that. mention it with Brian Herman. Uh, three catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. Dude, how about the running backs on this team? I've never heard of Kenneth Dixon. He led their team in rushing that day. Kenneth Dixon, um, Jav... Jav- Javarius Allen and Alex Collins. Those were the three running backs. Alex Collins was doing it for Seattle. Yeah, yeah, he's not bad. I've never heard of the other two guys. And, of course, last year, the big matchup between Lamar and Josh Allen, the first of hopefully many. We hold Lamar to 40 yards. Defense plays well. Do you remember one play significant in – not significant, but do you remember one play that stuck out early in that game? One of our best – players got his jock ripped off on a juke. Do you remember what this play was? Was it Milano? Milano, dude. I've ne- it was oh, it was bad. Something Other that- than that, it wasn't a visually appear- no. appealing game. No, no, Jackson no, no. didn't play too great. And we gave up one big play, 61-yard touchdown to Hayden Hurst, who's now on the Falcons. Allen missed multiple deep balls that game. That's when he could not find the deep ball the whole year. We did even have a chance to tie Excuse me. We did have a chance to tie it late. Marcus Peters breaks up a pass that was a little underthrown to John Brown. Um, so they lose 24-17 in a game that probably it – look, it looks closer than it was. It, the Baltimore was a better team that game. So let's move on to this year. Obviously, much different years. Jackson did not have the MVP-type year he had last year, obviously. Um, some interesting stats. So these teams are red hot. And in my opinion, I know that the the Chiefs have won how many straight? I mean, they're 15-1 on the year. But I think these are the two hottest teams in the AFC. I know it's a hot take. I didn't say the Bills for sure, but – um, I think Baltimore, too. Bills have won seven straight. Baltimore, five straight. Bills, some matchups to watch out for here. Bills are the whole year, really, but finished first in third down conversion offense, 49.7%. Only two for nine last week, which is mind-boggling. I don't think that'll happen again. Baltimore is the second-best third down defense, so it'll be very important that we sustain drives and keep our offense on the field. Baltimore, 48%, fourth in the NFL, third down, so we need to get them off the field, and Buffalo's defense stunk last week. We could not get a big stop when we needed to against Indy, except on fourth down near the goal line. But that, now that one, I don't agree with, for the record, going back to Indy. The fourth down run, I don't agree with. The pass to Pittman, I do. But anyway, they uh, Indy went 9 for 17 last week, which is way too much. We had no sacks, no turnovers last week. They need big plays this week. Tennessee, who stunk at pass rush the whole year, had four sacks in the first half last week versus Baltimore. They were all over them. We need to limit their big plays because in the Bills, that's because of their amazing safeties. They're one of the best in the NFL at limiting big plays. Micah Hyde had another phenomenal game versus Indianapolis. Mark Andrews makes me nervous, but let's get to our actual he makes me nervous. Actual keys. Okay, My first key, can't miss tackles okay you I would imagine them coming up keeping Poyer close keeping a nickel package for because it's hard to spy Lamar with 
a linebacker. You're going to have to have multiple defensive backs, in my opinion. Teron Johnson's going to have to come up big. 16 missed tackles last week for the Bills. That's what killed them in the fourth quarter. They contained Taylor the whole game until then. Baltimore's averaging 191.9 rushing yards a game. They're going to want to establish their own, especially if it's crappy weather. I, like I said, I know we're going to want to stack the box, but if you miss tackles, then there's very few people, obviously, in the second level to get them down. They did a nice job last year versus Lamar. Hopefully they can do it this uh, year as well. My first key and my, you know, probably my second my first key, Dan, is they got to make Lamar Jackson. A pa- they got to make Lamar Jackson a passer. Okay, I've never been a huge Lamar Jackson guy. I always said he got to. Is he gonna win, beat teams in big playoff games with his arm? He didn't do it against Tennessee. He was actually really struggling that whole entire game outside of that big run. Okay, so make him a passer. The Ravens are nine and zero when Lamar Jackson runs for more than ninety yards. They have one of the most efficient run games when you talk about Lamar Jackson. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, our whole package, and really recent history in the NFL. Um, Dan, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm quitting the show. I'm, I'm sitting out a show if he beats us with his arm. Okay, so if you're listening, you want to be a guest host if Lamar Jackson beats us with his arm, feel I'm free talking to. Talking like him throwing for 280 plus. I got, hey, yeah, you know hey I mean. I'll be the judge. Okay. All right. Um, yeah, I'd say that's definitely a key. Get him passing and, again, limit the big plays. He's. Their explosive plays of an offense is how they've scored points because it's insane that they have the most rushing yards, fewest passing yards, but they're still like top 10 in scoring in the NFL, which is wild to think about such a weird offense Greg Roman has built up there in Baltimore. My second take, handle the Baltimore pressure, okay? I thought the Bills did a decent job this last week versus Indy, but nobody blitzes more in the NFL than... Wink Martindale's Baltimore Ravens defense. They had the highest percentage and highest amount of blitzes. Is that going to be their plan? If that's their plan, Josh Allen has 19 touchdowns and 1,850 yards, both first in the NFL against the Blitz. So if you're Baltimore, Bill, would you play your strength or try to limit the Bills' strength and sit back and force the run like Indy did? It's a good question, Dan. I, You know, one thing that they do well and where they have an advantage um, against, like, Indianapolis is they have three very solid cornerbacks, in my opinion. So I think they're going to be able to play man. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of Marlon Humphrey on Cole Beasley in the slot. I think he'll also see him match up against Diggs. So speak louder. What are you doing? You're so whispering. I mean, I don't know. You know, I I think they're going to kind of sit back. I don't think that they're, they're going to believe that we can run the ball consistently. I don't think we want to do that. So, yeah, that's where I got for you, Danny. I mean, last year you look at that loss, they that upset loss to the Titans where Derrick Henry ran all over him. Talk about looking at that and adjusting your team. They go out and get Yannick Ngakwe. They go out and sign Derek Wolf. They trade for Calais Campbell. They held Derrick Henry to under 50 yards this past week. What a turnaround. And the I don't Bi- see Singletary running all correct, over these guys. Correct, correct. And you know what? For as nervous as we are against them, I think the Bills' offensive line is very, very good. So they need to hold up against the pressure. I don't care if Allen throws 60 times. Here's what I, I also have been hearing people say. We don't need to average four yards a carry when we could literally, anytime we want, throw it to Cole Beasy for four yeah, yards. Well, maybe so, not this week. That's my fear. You got a really good slot corner in Marlon Humphrey. We don't know that they're going to keep Humphrey I in know, the slot. But, you know, that'll be interesting. That'll be a right matchup match-ups. to look for. To me, it's going to be like, a, is Gabe Davis going to be able to get open on a guy like Marcus or Peters? Hey, Bill, let's take that right to the matchup of the game. Why don't you go talk about these corners whoa, and the receivers? Whoa, 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 Dan. I got a second key. Oh, I sorry. First, sorry, Dan, okay. All right? So don't just gloss over me, <laughs> all right? All right, sorry. I, I, I could see this game coming down to a turnover, okay? Allen had that kind of look in his eyes against that he had against Houston in sophomore season, Allen, when he fumbled the ball. 
he can't try to be Superman and extend plays in this game. When he's bottled up, don't try and break the tackle. Take the sack. Okay, that's what's gotten you to this point. You haven't made those big-time mistakes. Don't extend the plays. The Ravens deep. Why? The Ravens defense leads the league in forced fumbles. 25 this year. A lot of them from the cornerbacks as well. Okay, so and on the flip side, Dan, I don't see a possibility of our Bills defense not getting a turnover. So we got to win that turnover battle because it could come down to one possession. Bill, and I tried segueing your last point into your matchup. I'm going to segue your point into my bold take. Both teams enter 60% touchdowns, about right around the top 10 in the NFL, 60% uh, touchdown success rate in the red zone. Allen's 53 of 84, uh, throwing with 19 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's knock on wood, never thrown a red zone interception in his career. Jackson has 24 less attempts, but is 40 for 60 in the red zone for 15 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Somebody's going to throw a back-breaking red zone interception in this game. It could be off a tip. It could be off a misread. It could be with pressure coming at him, trying to force something, even if it's trying to force something late. But someone's going to throw a back-breaking red zone interception. That's my bold take. My matchup here, Dan, I don't have a really a bold take besides I think it's going to come down to a crazy turnover at the end, kind of like you said, I guess. Uh, but Bill's receivers, it's got to be those secondary targets, I think, because they're going to sell out to stop digs. Jimmy Smith had played well in his return against Tennessee. He's healthy again from Colorado. Yes, former first-round pick, former very good cornerback, very smart cornerback. So is it going to be guys like Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, tight end possibly, running backs out of the backfield? I, you're going to have to kind of hit those secondary options to move the ball down the field. Okay, so I still think they're going to – I think Diggs is going to have his way with this over. secondary. Over. Over catches. Over catches. And, Bill, you mentioned these secondary weapons. You know what? We keep throwing all this stuff while we're nervous about Baltimore. If you're Baltimore, there's not many teams that can successfully and continuously defend four wide receiver sets with four receivers like we have in Buffalo, even with a banged-up Cole Beasley. Baltimore, so far this year, is not one of them. Bill's offense is number two in the NFL in most dropbacks with four-plus receivers. Baltimore, according to Pro Football Focus, ranks... 21st in yards per attempt against that look, 23rd in explosive plays, and 26th in passer rating. They've allowed two 300-yard passers this year, Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes. Bottom line, Dan, is... They beat up on bad teams this year. Bottom line is, is Josh Allen going to be able to move the ball down the field? And if he's able to do that, we have a very, very strong chance at winning. My score prediction, I think it's a crazy turnover at the end. Either a Lamar Jackson tipped interception or a Lamar Jackson fumble. Maybe that left hand's not feeling so good. Maybe he's just not so used to playing in that slick Orchard Park snow. So I get that crazy turnover, and the Bills win 24-23, and we'll be saying, wow, it would have been pretty neat to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully it – well, whatever. Um, Bill – do you buy any of this hype about Jackson's hand and that that's going to be a problem? Not real. He's a gamer, man. You know, everything that Josh Allen said Should about him. Should you target it if you're a defender? Yeah, I think you do. I, th- I think you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think All you right. do. But, I, I mean, you know what? I, I love Jackson as, as, a, as a guy. I love him as a teammate. I think he's an awesome teammate. Everything that Josh Allen said about him is right on the money. Again, I just don't think that he's the type of quarterback that's going to beat a team with his arm in playoff time. I got another hot take for my final score here, Bill. 
The Bills are going to win 27-26. It's going to come down to a last possession field goal. It's either going to be a Tyler Bass make or a Mr. Automatic Justin Tucker miss. Georgia Southern man. I like Tyler Bass, and that's a good special teams matchup, yep. isn't it? Yes, it is. And we Bills moving on to play the winner of Browns Chiefs. Do you have a prediction in that? Yeah, Sam, let's get to that. Why don't we just roll oh, yeah, through right. our well, playoff predictions if we start with Kansas City? Well, let's re let's – Let's call it here because let's uh, let's do this. We'll get to that ending. Let's <laughs> again. You just can't read the script. Let's. Yeah, you said it. Let's wrap it up here, and we will send it to our Buffalo Sports Blast. In the past, this week it is former Bills punter Brian Mormon. This interview is sponsored by R. E. McNamara. Have you been working from home and noticing how many rooms need an upgrade? Call R. E. McNamara at seven four one four eight one nine. From basements to bedrooms, kitchens to attics, and especially when you want to convert a room into your home office, R.E. McNamara has you covered. 741-4819. The bills make me want to kick your heels up and shout. throw your hands up and shout. throw your head back and shout. Come on now, the bills are making it happen now. Stand up now, come on and shout. Yeah, 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 yeah. Say you will. Shout it right now, baby. Come on, come on. We are very excited to welcome on as our Buffalo Sports Blast from the Past, a 13-year NFL veteran, all of which a half of a year coming with the Buffalo Bills. He is a two-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, holds the Bills record for longest punt, is a member of the NFL 2000's All-Decade Team and the Buffalo Bills 50th Anniversary Team, Throw on top, he's a World Bowl Nine champion and a member of the Kansas Sports Hall of Fame. What a resume. Brian Mormon joins Buckets. And, Dan, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. You bet, fellas. Thanks for having me. God, you say all those things, and it uh, brings a lot. Brings back a lot of memories. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we'll get to all of them now. Brian, Buckets yeah. here. You were a standout athlete in track and baseball at Sedgwick High School. I hope I pronounced that correctly in Kansas. Sedgwick, yeah. Good, yeah. Uh, track, football, and basketball. We didn't actually have baseball when I was there. Uh, that you know that's I you know yeah. that that's my co-host. That's problem. my fault. He wrote it down wrong. Sorry. He did the research on your early life, so that's on him. <laughs> that's on him. But no worries. Yeah, maybe <laughs> but, my Wikipedia page is wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but you decide to go. <laughs> you decide to go to Division Two Pittsburgh State to both punt and run track and field. Was there any thought of potentially going Division One for either sport, or was that the appeal of the Division Two route, having the maybe opportunity to, to do both? No, I think um, I think like any kid growing up, you you kind of dream about playing for a a big school and playing on TV. And I mean, I came from a school of uh, a town of a thousand. I had twenty four kids in my class. Three of those were um, were. Um, exchange students so that you know we had uh, really only 21 kids in my class so it was a small town and everybody knew everybody and I played eight-man football uh it wasn't even an 11 man 11 man game for me so um you know my my dream would have been to go play at Kansas State at the time and that's kind of where I really wanted to play and I didn't even know where Pittsburgh Kansas was at the time but um I was recruited by some NAIA schools to play quarterback and and then uh Kansas State said that I could walk on as a punter um, and I had only punted as a senior. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was like, well, and, uh, Pittsburgh state came calling for track and, um, they were offering me a scholarship. I'd had, you know, won a few state championships in the hurdles and, 
and uh, went down there and, and visited. It was an awesome campus. Uh, you know, I'd recommend it to anybody in the country if they wanted to go there. It's a, a world-class uh, type of uh, facility now, especially um, with a you know, great indoor football field and 300-meter track. It's amazing, but uh, they've done great things. Um, but uh, anyway, um, you know, I, I, I never left after that, you know, I signed on to run track and I didn't even, uh, I wanted to play football, but they didn't have any room for somebody that was taking money from the track program. So I waited till the second year, walked on the football team, but happened to break my wrist the year before. So quarterback and receiver was out. And, uh, I started working on kicking again, walked on as a kicker. There was about nine guys that did the same thing and they had no punters. So I said, well, I guess I'll punt. And, and, uh, I said, I'll punt and kick off. I just want to play. And the rest is history. So, um, made all American four years in a row and, and then, um, you know, snuck into training camp with Seattle. That was kind of my only option. They uh, signed me as an undrafted free agent, had a couple other workouts too, but I was lucky enough that, uh, special teams coach Pete Rodriguez there saw something in me that, uh, he thought that could, I could make something of myself and, you know, then played two years in Europe and finally, uh, decided on Buffalo. I made the, made the right choice there. It was between Buffalo and St. Louis. And, you know, uh, it was extremely enticing, uh, to maybe go punt inside at the time with the, <laughs> the dome there in St. Louis, but there was a young guy there that hadn't punted before that I was going to compete against in Buffalo. And I thought this is a good situation for me. And, and, uh, lucky enough, uh, you know, Danny Smith was a special teams coach, Tom Donahoe and, and Greg Williams at the time, you know, they all stuck by me. I, I came out of the gate kicking great but then my leg kind of got tired after a full season in Europe and everything else and but they stuck by me and and then uh you know things just continued to do better and and go well and fell in love with the area it's a second hometown to me I mean I love Bills fans um and I hope they know that it's like uh you know Bills Mafia there's nothing like it so it's um a lot of fond memories and and still try and get back as much as I can at least pre-COVID and I'm looking forward to post-COVID Wow, you really ran through a bunch of my questions there, so that was great. I, but I, I do sorry about no, that. No, that's okay. I, I want to go back in. I think the NFL Europe's often forgotten about, so I would love to hear your experience there. If you think it really did grow the game, and just what it was like living in another country for a couple of years. I'll tell you that was probably that was an awesome experience, and a lot of it, um, you know, just from touch on the football part of it was it was a great league for kickers and punters and quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, I think maybe you step down a little bit in competition for, you know, receivers, running backs, offensive line and, and linebackers and D line and so forth. Um, so maybe a little harder to evaluate, but, um, when you start to look at kickers and punters, you're, you're, you're using the same ball on the same field. And so you're really able to evaluate guys. It was a great, um, great training tool for guys to go over there and prove themselves and, and, um, more then than now, guys, it would it typically would take, you know, a year or two or even three for some guys to make it in the league. So having that opportunity to go over, coming from a small school and prove to teams that I could kick uh, at that level and, and hold my own. You know, I made the um, all-NFL Europe team, made the World Bowl team, you know, all that stuff that, you know, they're like, okay, you know, I led the league the one year. And so it was it was a good opportunity for me to prove myself and and um, kind of step out of the, the shadow of a small school and, and show that I could hold my own. And, and, um, and that really helped me. And I, I think a lot of quarterbacks, you saw that happen too, because they can get over there and, um, you know, and show their arm and, and, you know, navigate through a game and whatnot. So you see guys like Kurt Warner come out of there, John Kitna, yep. 
Um, you know, there's a, there's a few guys. So it was a really good league for that. And, you know, then just living and having the experience over in Europe was, uh, was awesome. You know, and I played two years. That second year was even better because I kind of knew what to expect, knew where to go. You know, we um, got, got to see a lot of history and travel a little bit. So it was, it was a great experience. What was the like the attendance like? Was there? I know it didn't last too long, so it couldn't have been that great. But what was the the attention, and were fans real into it? You know, that's funny you ask. And I was I was actually thinking about this last week because uh, obviously you could only get sixty seven hundred or whatever fans in the stadium for the game last week, and and I, and hearing some of the guys saying, "Man, it sounded so loud. It sounded like there were you know twenty or thirty thousand people." Well, we only had ten thousand people over there, and I said that many times that. 10,000 sounded like 60 in, right. in, um, in, in the States because they would use the noisemakers and okay. the, um, you know, the horns and all that stuff. And it'd be so loud. And, and I was thinking about with this you know, COVID thing, them only allowing so many people, they should, they should make it like European soccer. There should be whistles, horns, <laughs> noisemakers. It should be anything you want. I mean, it should be like a European soccer game in there. And I think that would be awesome. Well, wow, Bills Mafia doesn't need all that. They did. They did just fine. Hopefully, we can do the same thing this weekend. And I, I hope I don't. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to run through your career in one question here. But you were with like <laughs> Bill and I grew up being Brian Mormon lovers because that's all we had to look forward to. That was a tough stretch of Bills years that you that you lasted on. And but you individually had a phenomenal career. You were two time All Pro, named to the All Decade team. So looking back, and even at the time, how how did you? How did you enjoy your individual accomplishments while being on such bad football teams? I wouldn't say bad. I'd say okay. <laughs> well, you know, we were always right in the middle of the road. Always yeah. Eight, yeah. eight, seven, and nine. You know, not very many. I think nine and seven one year. Um, you know, not many winning records. So we were just just good enough to get a middle of the road draft pick. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you, know, That's which, right. you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you fans that for sure. I mean, it was as frustrating for you as it was for us. Um, but um, you know. I had great, we had great, I had great teammates and uh, great coaches, you know, especially in the middle of my career. Um, and, and it made it fun. And, and you know, I, I had guys that, especially when Bobby April was there, he, you know, he really got our special teams going. And, you know, we finished first in the league, I think, three, two years in a row and another, a third time as well. The six years he was there, he really um, allowed me to just kind of open up and punt into my uh, strengths and, you know, gave me an opportunity to, to shine. And, um, it was a lot of fun, you know, and, and regardless, win or lose, we still won some games and had a good time. We had a couple of years in there where we had opportunities, you know, even at the end of the year, which that's, right. what, that's all you can ask for is to be playing for something in December. And that was a great feeling. And, and um, you know, I, I'm living vicariously through these guys right now, you know, being able to um, play, you know, for, like I said, play for something in December, they're playing well in December and, and then coming into the playoffs and, it is tough, you know. Uh, you know, my son is ten now. He obviously didn't get to see me play. Um, you know, he was uh, three when I quit, so he doesn't really remember um, or retired, whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> or as he would tell me, when I got retired, uh, but <laughs> which is a lot better. Whenever he used to say I got fired, but um, you know, and, and so he he doesn't. He obviously doesn't remember that. But he look. He says to me now, he's like, God, Dad, I can't believe you didn't make the playoffs. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it sucks, but we had a, we had a good run. And, and uh, it, you know, I, I loved every minute of being in Buffalo and, and the big reason why I came back too. I mean, I had opportunities to go elsewhere um, after, you know, even that year signing with another team mid season. And I'll never forget coming back and the welcoming that I got from the fans. It's, it's the best moment in my career. And, you know, in that game against the Bengals. 
And, Brian, you not only could punt, I mean, like I said earlier, you hold the Bills record for longest punt in a season, 84 yards. You have multiple punts over 70 yards, but you also ran for 55 career yards and threw two touchdowns. So I want you to rank these three things in terms of how fired up you'd get on the field, okay? Number one, a coffin, yeah. co- a coffin corner punt inside the one-yard line. Okay. A... Am I supposed to rate it against those? No. Well, yeah. Or a 70-yard bomb or a touchdown pass. Wow. I guess, you know, um, well, I kind of have to say a touchdown pass is pretty dang cool. Uh, You know, especially playing quarterback in high school and be able to throw throw another touchdown, um, you know, and it's just – plus it's different, you know, and and punting it inside the one, you know, I expect to do that, um, and but it's still – it's still not easy and it's still exciting to do, you know, because, oh, yeah. you know, flipping the field like that for your defense. But getting the score, I mean, the only thing better above that would actually be running one in. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I always wanted – back when I was playing, we couldn't do touchdown dances. They'd find us, but I was going to do one anyway. I, and, it, and I would get made fun of for the next – you know, until, I, until I'm dead, you know, because I can't dance. But I was going to do it. <laughs> Dang it. One of my uh, one of my but, uh, one of my fondest memories is sitting up in the three hundreds and watching you throw one to Ryan Denny, and I I think we lost the game, but that yeah. was a sweet play. Well, he was my go-to. I threw two to him. I threw one to him against New Orleans and one to him against Seattle. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So and then I had a couple other opportunities where it didn't work out. But yeah, I think uh, and you know I loved the fake punts, and I, I you know we always had one in the game plan. You know, especially when Dick Duran was a coach and Bobby April. I mean, they we always had one in the game plan, but didn't always get them called. And, and um, yeah, I'll forever regret that last game I played in. Uh, I think it was a regular season, and the regular season was against the Dolphins. And um, before we came, it was in 2013, and I we were beating them up pretty good, and we were kicking a field goal at the end of the game, and I told Dan Carpenter, I was like, I may just run this one in. And I was like, ah, oh, no, never mind, you know. And I should have done it because, I, I mean, they were coming hard off the edge. All I had to do was pick it up and jog in, and I should have done it. But, uh, you know, I just don't like <laughs> – you're going to hear an earful on the sideline if it doesn't work. So um, that would have been my chance. But, you know, running in a touchdown would have been pretty cool. With this current team, especially this special teams unit, you see that uh, Bajorquez – Tyler Bass and yep. Reed Ferguson are all really tight, and the team really seems like a really tight-knit group overall. How close were you with your special teams unit, and how close were those teams when, when you played? I, I, You know, we had a lot of fun, and we were close. And, and I think especially whenever, you know, punter, kicker, snapper, you know, we hang out a lot together. I mean, a, a lot. So, you know, we go over to the stadium and kick on our own and, and um, you know, we, when everyone else is in meetings, we're together. So you do get pretty tight with those guys, and you can tell that it's good. And you know, they have a good chemistry. And obviously, a holder, um, you know, a kicker wants to have a good chemistry with his holder, and they have a good feel. And 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 it seems that uh, they got all that figured out. They're doing a great job. And and I I can't tell you uh, how uh, happy I am for Corey. He's doing awesome. Uh, and, you know, I, he, he's really coming to his own this year. You can tell he's relaxed. He's punting the ball, lights out. Um, just killing it. He's uh, um, got a great leg and a great head on his shoulder. So I'm happy with what he's doing and, and how he's done and happy for him. So um, excited for him. And, and, and um, you know, Tyler too, he's just, they're, they're just doing awesome. And, and then Reed's just, he's just money, great snapper. But uh, yeah, you can tell they're having a good time, special teams all together, just the, you know, not just the three of them, but, um, and even the rest of the team, you, you know, winning obviously helps a lot of things, but, I think winning comes from that chemistry, and you can tell that Coach uh, has them going, and you know they're um, they're in a great place, and and they don't 
they don't let adversity get to them. That's the difference between this team um, that they've got and some of the teams that I've played on. Is you know we had a you get that feeling on the sideline of ah oh, here we go you know we were winning and now they've come back they're ahead of us and now we just kind of seemed like we'd go in the tank. Well, this team doesn't do that, and and it's so fun to watch and um, you know love love seeing them uh, you know come back from adversity and 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 kick it in the ass. And you mentioned Bajorquez and what a season he's had. And early in the season, it seemed like it, he was having trouble holding the field goals for Tyler Bass. A couple of Bass's kicks, it's clear that the leases were in. And I want you to try to explain to me why that's important and how much time did you actually put in? Like, is it a lot of film? Is it a lot of just, just touch and feel? What, how much time did you put in in being the holder? No, you you know, there's a lot more to it than people think. And it's, it's harder than it looks, um, you know, those snaps aren't coming back soft, you know, because they, they've got to get back there quick and crisp. Um, but, yeah, kicking the laces, you know, everybody loves the laces out Dan thing from <laughs> uh, Ace Ventura. But there's a lot to it. You know, you just don't get the same hit on the ball, and it won't. Uh, but to see a kicker be able to kind of just fight through that, still get a good hit on the ball is always impressive to me. And, and um, But, yeah, I mean, you got sometimes, – sometimes you just – the, the, it's just not there, and you, it's better to just leave it. And, and a lot of kickers will say that, listen, if you can't turn it, just leave it because I don't want to hit a moving ball. So that could have been why he didn't spin it at the time. Is like it was so far back and just he was surprised and didn't catch it and um, quick enough, so he just left it and just and hope, hope that he, you know, he could get a good clean hit on it. But, yeah, you definitely want to do your best to get it uh, wrapped back around or spun back around to, to 12 o'clock, but – um, you know, if, if you can't, then sometimes just let it sit and, and, uh, and then just kind of, I remember doing that a couple of times like, I, I'm just, especially on PATs. I mean, you got to spin it on a, on a field goal, but, um, on a PAT, just let it go. And then, but you kind of still close your eyes and say, please go in, you know, right. cause then you feel like it was kind of your fault. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, punters, they better, I mean, you almost have the best, you know, some of the best hands on the team. I mean, it's hard to discount you know what uh, what receivers do and, and how amazing they are but you, you know we catch a lot of bad snaps and you know on punts and field goals and and when it comes down to a game-winning field goal you better have good hands you know and right. you, you want to get that ball down and and uh you get the laces out and and do your you know, everybody's got a job to do and um that's an important one and it seems like every championship team has a great special teams unit it's often forgotten about but i mean th- throughout your time you had players on your team make careers from it like Bill and I still talk about just lifelong special teamers guys like Mario Hagan Josh Stamer Sam Aiken that were influential in covering those punts and you look at this team how good their special teams have done under Heath Farwell with guys like Saran Neal Medikevich um, Taiwan Jones Jaquan Johnson yep Jaquan Johnson so and what I want to ask is First of all, how you know you mentioned um, Danny Smith earlier, and it's still hilarious that he's still coaching with that huge wad of chewing tobacco in his mouth, uh-huh. or is it gum? Yeah, I, so, well, sometimes it's a mix of all. Actually, it's, it's bazooka gum. That guy, oh. I can't believe his teeth haven't fallen out oh. yet. But yeah, he loves that bazooka gum. That flavor is that the gum that the flavor runs out in like yeah. three seconds? No wonder it's so big. He has to just keep adding. To oh it. yeah. That's exactly why he keeps adding it, and, and he just—I I always give him a hard time. And, and the running joke was, too, he doesn't—he can't stand the grape stuff. So I would take all the other stuff and only give him a tub of grape. But uh, yeah, but then he's a nut. He's he's an awesome person. 
person. And then you have like Bobby April, who was famous for at least famous for me. Like that he called it special forces, not special teams. And then Bruce DeHaven for the Bills later on coming back. So the job that Heath Firewall has done, how much how much time is really put in special teams? And what I want to know is a guy like Jordan Poyer. I just read an article that he begs to be put on all things. Is that unusual, or do you have a lot of starters want to be on special teams? I think it probably depends. You know, I, I think uh, you know. It, it there are truly three phases of the game and, and there are a lot of things that can um you know special teams can change in, in the matter of a game you know, you, you look at a, a time if you bobby was always great about throwing out statistics of uh you know if, if you score on special teams you got an 85 percent chance of winning you know and so there's you know if, if you can you get a turnover on special teams you, you got a better chance of winning obviously you know and he, he would throw out all those statistics and it, and it hits home to you You're like wow this is really important um, flipping the field, you know, same thing percentage-wise. If you know the a high percentage probability that uh, if you punt a ball inside the ten, that the team punting the ball is going to be the next team to score, which means that you're going to get the ball back in a good field position. You pin them inside the five; they have to punt. You get the ball at the fifty, and now all of a sudden you're you know close to field goal range, if not scoring a touchdown. So, you know, flipping the field is is so important, and it couldn't be more important this time of year. Um, and that's why I think. Um, you know the kicking game is gonna it's gonna play a big role on Saturday um, in, in this game and um, you know and and I'm glad that they're they're punting them kicking so well because I think it's gonna it's gonna be integral in, in winning that ball game and the coverage units too which they're just doing lights out it's great Brian it's just so easy to tell by your voice and your tone how much you really truly love Buffalo the Bills and the fans here and you still play just a huge role here in Western New York, even though you don't live here full time. Can you tell our listeners, I'm sure a lot of people, I know I've known about it for a long time. I know a lot of people know about it, but maybe how the punt foundation started and how it's doing right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we started it, um, you know, and, and, and back in 2004, uh, you know, just met a young man at, uh, up at the field house named Taylor Spath and, um, you know, he's, geez, he's out of college now, which dates me, but, um, you know, he, we just got the, we hit it off and I started going up to the hospital and visiting other kids and just saw a need and, and we started small and, and kind of grew as, uh, you know, organically and, you know, with the help of uh, some awesome people that, uh, sat on the board for years with me and, um, and, and my wife, Amber, and we just, uh, put some programs together that we felt were, or integral to helping the kids uh, keep a smile on their face and helping the families get through a really difficult time. And, um, but, you know, we couldn't do it without the people in Western New York. I mean, it's just uh, the, the hearts that everybody have there and, and the way that they open up their arms and give everybody a big hug. It's just it's amazing. And it wasn't just for our organization. It's for so many more. I mean, everybody's so giving. Um, it's, um, it's impressive. So, um, yeah, I mean, and to this day, so yeah, we're still, we're still going strong. We've got a great team back there in Buffalo that, continues to um, get the word out and doing a great job with uh, with the programs that, that we've got everything from direct financial assistance just finished up uh, another year of the our adopt a family program over Christmas which you know has gone from from one family to six families to seven families up to 18 families and then now helping um, all the way up to 77 families this year um, all because of people in western New York willing to donate and, and give back and, and help these kids and their families have a have a memorable Christmas that they wouldn't be able to have otherwise, especially in a year like this um, last year in 2020. I mean, um, a very challenging year for, for so many and, and for so many reasons, but um, uh, people really uh, stepped up and, and I can't say enough about 
about what Western New York provides for, for these families battling cancer. So, um, like I said, we've got a great team there, um, you know, great board in place that, that has passionate um, and uh, really sees the needs. And, you know, we've been able to provide some, some assistance to these families. So, like I said, I can't thank Western New York enough and Buffalo. It's just a, um, it's just a, it's such a great place. And, and um, you know, I I'll always, always feel like it's my, my second hometown, no question. Yeah, Brian, I mean, it's been well documented the past couple of years how, how much Spills Mafia gives back, but it helps having great guys like you that want to lead the charge at the forefront as a member of the team. So we thank you for that. And we do have just one final question. We ask this to all our our blast from the past. And like Bill said, it's, it seems like you're real passionate about the area and the Bills. So what do you miss most about uh, the Bills and maybe even playing for the Bills? And what do you miss most about – excuse me – where is where was your go-to wing spot, and has your son ever had chicken wings? Because I don't, I can't imagine they're too great down in Jacksonville. <laughs> uh, they're not that great down here. Um, you know, there used to be a place that um, had kind of some buffalo ties, but I do go over to Wing It, which is the uh, the uh, Bills Backers Bar. They've got a good, they've got good wings. I, I do enjoy those, and I like getting over there. Um, you know, with the, everything going on COVID-wise, I haven't gone this year, and and I, I so want to go there for the playoffs, but. Um, probably not going to happen, but that would be my go-to spot here. Um, back there is uh, Gabriel's Gate, probably oh, yeah. downtown. Yep. Um, and then, it, and then uh, there used to be a place there in Orchard Park. It's shut down. Um, and God, Leon can't even remember the name, but it was right at the corner of uh, um, uh, right right there by the Country Club. There used to be a spot right there. They had the best wings that I just I just loved them. And then they they ended up closing, unfortunately. Um, Gainers, the name was Gainers. Gainers. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was, that was my spot there. Plus it was close to home. You can just drive around the corner, but, um, you know, and you ask about what I missed the most. I mean, uh, the fans, I mean, I, and I know that's a cliche thing kind of, kind of say, but I mean, it's just going, being able to walk through the tunnel and, and high five the fans and, and, and be there on Sundays, but even just outside, uh, you know, walking around town or whatever, there's just great fans and, and, Really enjoy, you know, guys like uh, the guys that put Coffin Corner together. That I still go back for a game, and they still put up the cutout of me. And <laughs> we stay in touch, and I stop and have a beer with them, and uh, you know, tailgate with them a little bit anytime I come in for a game. They're they're amazing guys that you know have made me always feel like I was I was one of one of the Bills Mafia, you know, and and uh, and and now I am. I mean, I, right. I I claim it. I'm a fan, and uh, if if I didn't think I'd break my collarbone, I'd jump on a table for you. But uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. That's fair. And I'm too injury prone. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's, it's not like you were always walking yeah. around with the most muscle on your team. No offense. I mean, if you look at me and Bill, you could say <laughs> the same thing about us. But, Brian, we really None taken. None we, taken. We, really, yeah. we really do appreciate you uh, coming on. This is this is a, one of the first times we've had somebody on that we really watched you as, like, actual fans. We, we bring a lot of guys on from the 90s who are nice enough to come on, but we were a little too young for that. And it's so cool hearing how passionate you still are about the Bills and watching you and all these other alum get excited about this current team just like we are as fans. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And chicken wings on us next time you're in Buffalo. That's right. I can't wait, man. I, I really can't wait. And I, hey, I, I appreciate you having me on too. It means a lot, and uh, and I, I can't wait for this weekend. And most importantly, go Bills. Alrighty then. All right, Bill. Let's wrap it up here. Let's get to our other game predictions. But let's wrap up last week. We both had Seattle winning over LA. We were wrong about that. Rams come out victorious. They will travel to Green Bay this week. Who do we like in that matchup? 
I like Green Bay in that matchup, twenty-seven to twenty. I like Green Bay thirty-four to twenty in that game. I think it's a good two-touchdown win. They score a touchdown late to pull out. Uh, I think Green Bay is going to the Super Bowl. Let's uh, go to the other game here. We have two games to get to from last week: Tampa Bay, Washington. Tampa Bay wins 31-23. Hell of a performance by that kid from Washington. What's his last name? Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Very, very impressed by him. I think he just bought himself a few years in the league as a backup for sure. Okay. Yep. And let's talk about the Saints-Bears game on Nickelodeon. Did you watch any of the game on Nickelodeon? I, you know, I was kind of back and forth, and I enjoyed both broadcasts. And I got Tampa Bay in this game in, in, in a minor upset in a Saint heartbreak. Another weird heartbreak game. It's going to come down to a call. Tom Brady victorious, twenty-eight, twenty-seven. Yeah, I have the I have the Bucks too. I I just think that that Saints off it doesn't it just doesn't look great. It, that's it, the Saints side. I feel bad, and I'm telling you right now, Bill. It's sad. Yeah, that's true. Actually, it's sad watching. Like this is an end of an era. You know what I mean? Like Brady, of course, he's just he's like a cockroach, just won't die, but. You got Breeze Rivers and Roethlisberger that I would be—I wouldn't be surprised if all three retired. And that is a passing of the guard in the NFL. I think Brady has the best chance of coming back. I think he yeah, looks the best, yes. you know, especially He's with definitely the team. coming back. Yeah, Brady, and then the other two are huge question marks. Dan, the game that precedes that, the game before that, we talked about it earlier: Cleveland Browns at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Browns put on a really, really nice performance, beating Pittsburgh last Sunday night in a fun game. But, Dan, I don't see the magic continuing. I got Kansas City 34-20. to 20. I got a bit more of a shootout. I got 38-33 Chiefs. I think it's going to be closer than people think. I think that that Cleveland offense is kind of fun when it gets rolling. So. Especially with their offensive line and yep. the Baker Mayfield stories of, like, meeting the guy a couple hours before the game. Yep, yep. Um, so how about the uh, – Wait, we need a little prediction here. I'm going to stop the show. Stop the show. Uh, you know, but a lot of talk about the running back position. We did not talk about Zach Moss getting hurt and how that might impact our team. Dan, if 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 your head coach Sean McDermott, who you start, who who's like the number two back this week? Is it T.J. Yeldon, or is it time for Mr. Antonio Williams, or is it Devonta Freeman? I don't think Freeman will be ready. That was my fault for even suggesting that earlier. I I think you got to go Yeldon. You got to go the safe pick. You know, now is not the time to get cute with Antonio Williams if. If he was any special throughout the year, they would have gave, given him a shot throughout the year because the running game has really struggled since the beginning. So I think you got to go Yeldon. Okay, I agree. Um, so we both have the Bills winning. We both have the Chiefs winning. We're on the board. We <laughs> both have the Packers winning. We both have the Saints winning. Okay, so that'll be interesting. Um, let's wrap it up here, Bill. Thank you to all our sponsors. Thank you to Daily Buffalo 716 for a, letting us be a partner podcast and the Buffalo Fanatics for letting us be contributor. Go check out their great stuff. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Brian Mormon. All of our material. Go ahead. Well, who's our blast from the past this Brian week? Brian Mormon this week was fantastic. Really appreciate him. Nathan Lehman, way out of our league. Really appreciate Coach Lehman coming on the show. Hey, if you want to sponsor with us, maybe you just want to feed us. We'll, we'll take that for a segment. I mean, it, it ain't nothing. Yep. Go ahead and contact Bill for that. Go Sabres. Go Bills. Looking forward to next week. It, hopefully talking about an AFC championship preview for the Bills. Love you, Mom. I know.